and open in prayers we open the word lord we just thank you for this day we thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have to come before you and just to worship you lord we thank you that we live in a country where we can come and worship you without any worries about being arrested for doing so we can share you without any worries about going into prison for doing so and lord we ask you to allow us to take advantage of this time as it's available to us and we just thank you in jesus name amen all right, today, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickens all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. All right, we're just going to read this one verse because I really only want to concentrate on one word <laughs> in this verse. And that word is quickened. And this is kind of an interesting thought because the word quickened is used several times in the scripture and it literally means to make alive and give strength. And just wanted to think about this. Do you realize because of the sin of Adam and Eve that every person that comes into this world is basically born dead? We have no spiritual life in us when we're born because of sin. We're headed for hell. God has to come into our life and quicken us. And we need to really be able to grab hold of this. This <coughs> word as I was studying all week long was to really stuck in my head. You know, I meet so many people who think, you know, well, if I just do enough good things for God, he's going to be okay with me. If I just do all the things I should, everything's going to be okay. But do you realize that we can do nothing without God. And I want to go into John chapter 15 as a, to read some scripture here because that verse really brings out when Jesus is talking to, to the people. John 15, I'm going to start at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me bears, that bears not fruit is he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring more, forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing." If a man abides not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. The men gather them up and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Fruit, bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. Jesus himself says, if we are not abiding in him, we can do nothing. And this is something we've got to keep in mind. If anybody has ever done any kind of gardening, and I tell you, you all know I've got a black thumb, but I understand gardening a little bit, even though I can't grow anything. I do know that if you take a vine or something that's growing and you cut it off from the, of the root vine, it won't grow anymore. Matter of fact, it will rot away. All right? I, I do know that much about <laughs> gardening, even though I can't garden. All right? Too many people try to live their life not attached to Jesus. 
Now, what does it mean to be attached with Jesus? You know, people will go and they tell me all the time, well, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Well, you know, that's absolutely true. You could go to, could, could be a Christian and not go to church. You're not going to be a good Christian. You're not going to be a growing Christian. But you could be a Christian because all it takes is accepting that you are a sinner, that you can't go to heaven without Jesus, and you can do that. Barely going to be attached to Jesus. You're going to have a little tiny vine. We, we have this plant in our home. It's trying to invade all the other pots of the plants. Uh, some of them are very small little stringers. We got one that's like a half an inch thick trying to find someplace else to go. You know, I want to cut it away, but I'm not going to cut it away because I'll kill a plant. But you know, it, it's all over. My wife has a, all of her plants in the bathroom. So we got this one plant trying to find its way to, to water or another dish or something. I don't know what it's doing. But it's got this one little branch that's out there trying to do something. Uh, you know, but you know, it kind of impresses me at the same time. This branch is looking for something else to to do, you know, if it finds another pot, it'll probably grow into another plant from there. I don't, I don't know. But, you know, I'm looking at that sometimes. I'm going, are we doing this with Christ? Are we reaching out as a vine to try to touch others? Are we just, or are we just sitting there saying, okay, Jesus, I want as little feeding from you as possible. I, believe me, I know people that are like that. God, I, I came to church on Sunday morning. I spent, I spent 10 minutes paying attention to a song and a minute or two paying attention to, to the sermon. I'm going home. And a lot of people are like that. And I'm not saying they're saved or not saved. That's be, between them and God. But if you really want to be a growing Christian, you need to be attend, attached to Jesus. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to be praying. And you need to be coming to church. Now, why is church important? Church is important because it helps us be accountable to others. It helps us get excited by what gets them excited. You know, one of the greatest things to get excited about is when a new Christian is around. Or somebody who's come back from being backslidden and all of a sudden they're excited about Christ again. They're fun to be around because everything is new. Everything is exciting to them. You know, those of us who have been around Christ for a long time, sometimes we get to be old stick in the muds. <laughs> you know, nothing's new. Nothing, nothing's exciting. I could tell you one of the greatest things is to listen to somebody who's newly into the Bible. And it's like, you know what God showed me yesterday? Look at this. Look at this verse. <laughs> and it's like, wow, that is, you know, and sometimes it comes up with some wonderful insight that I had never even ever thought about. You know, why? Because the Holy Spirit teaches them. And, you know, it is exciting to be around Christians that are new Christians. In Hebrews, we're told, forsake not the assembling of ourselves and so much more as we see the day approaching. Uh, I've been reading several books on the persecuted church over the last couple of weeks, and you know it's an amazing thing to me that those people are so anxious to get together with other believers, and if they get caught, they're going to prison. And yet they're anxious to be with other Christians. And here in America, where we can do it freely, we have so many people who have come up with all kinds of excuses not to go to church, not to be with other Christians. And it just, it's mind-boggling to me. You know, I'm, right now I'm reading Torture for Christ with Richard Warmbrandt, and he's talking about them going out into the streets to witness. It's against the law for them to witness, and yet they're out in the streets witnessing, and we, can, we can't even get people hardly to share the gospel with a friend on the phone or, or at their house. It's kind of a sad indictment on the church that where we have so much freedom, we take it so much for granted. You know, and on one side of me, it's like, God, bring the persecution. Bring persecution upon this church so that we can 
choose to follow you in a, in a strong way in, instead of playing games. But we need to be abiding in him so that he quickens us. He makes us alive. He takes us out of death. And we be attached to him. And it is wonderful. And, I almost, and I've shared with you all, I spend a lot of times listening to other pastors myself because I need to be fed once in a while too beyond just Bible reading, which is why you can't grow just sitting at home. You know, sitting with yourself, okay, I read my Bible once in a while. I, I pray once in a while. And if you're by yourself, you know, the thing people tell me, well, I can worship God out in the, out in the lake or up in the mountain. And my first question is, are you? Because the one thing I know is that they're not. <laughs> okay, absolutely, you can go up on the mountain and worship God and have a great time with God. You can go out to the lake, you can go out to the beach, and you're going to be worshiping God and have a great time. We used to do it a lot. My dad would bring his guitar, we'd, we'd sing Christian songs, and the whole crowd would gather around, and we'd have a Bible study on the beach, on the mountain, on the campground. Okay? We worshiped God. Now, normally we were in church, but every once in a while we'd be camping or something, and we'd end up with a crowd of people, and we'd have our own church wherever we were at. It's possible. It is possible to worship God wherever you're at. But usually the ones that are telling you that they're doing that, they're not worshiping God. You know, they might say a prayer, God, I already fish on the end of this line. <laughs> or, God, I need, to, I need the buck to show up on the, on the hill so I can get it. That's about as close to worshiping as they're getting in most cases. We need that quickening of Christ, the making us alive because we start out dead. In... in uh, Psalm 127, verse 1, it tells us that unless God builds a house, the people labor in vain to do it. Again, we need him. And, you know, I tell you all the time, my job is not to build this church up to some large number. It'd be hard to do anyway in our little town, but our job here is to build up the kingdom of Christ, and then he will build this church in the way he wants it to be built. Now, that's our job. Our job is not to get everybody to come to this church. Our job is to get them into heaven. When we share the gospel, we're looking to just get people into heaven. Let them find the church that they, they fit into. If they come out here, great. You know, I, I'd love to have this place packed. Have two or three services on Sunday morning. You know, use the rest of the property and build, a, build another church, whatever it might be. I don't know. I don't expect that necessarily of God, but you know, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if he was to do it. You know, but it's all in his plan. What does he want done? What does he want done? And we need to be able to let him be our guide. In Jeremiah 10, 23, it says that God directs our ways. Does God direct your ways? Are you listening to God daily? You know, it's amazing to find yourself someplace you didn't mean to be and then ministering the, uh, the grace of God to somebody, the gospel message to them, encouraging somebody. It's a, you know, working out at the prison, every once in a while, this, somebody will come up and there'll be just an opportunity, an opportunity to share. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement to another believer. Sometimes it's the giving the gospel message. You know, I've gone places I didn't want to go sometimes with the family because it's, they just wanted me to be the driver or whatever, and I get there, and, and I'm grumbling, I don't want to be here, I didn't want to be here, and then all of a sudden, God puts somebody in my path to witness to <laughs> Yeah, kind of hard to witness when you're in a bad mood in the first place. And yet you, you say, okay, God, help me. You yeah. should know better. I should just say, God, okay, who am I going to meet? <laughs> You've got me in this place. Who am I going to meet? What have you got me to do? 
Are we as a people expecting God to do something through us? Why else would we be left on this world? If God wasn't doing, planning to do something through us, when we got saved, he'd just take us to heaven. Okay. Each one of us are going to meet people that nobody else in the church is going to meet. We'll have opportunities to share with people that nobody else is going to meet. Maybe we'll share with somebody that wouldn't listen to anybody else. You know, and this is something that's very important. Each one of us have people in our lives that we could be able to share with that nobody else would, would be able to share with. I have, I have lots of education. I talk to people all the time that like to get into very educated you know, discussions. Now, there are many people that wouldn't be able to talk to them at all. Because they'd be talking, well, you just have to believe. And they're going, well, I don't want to just believe. I want to know why I have to believe. And there's a place for just believing. Okay? It, all these ev creation evolution things that we've been doing, my first statement is the Bible is true. Okay? I start with the Bible is true. If somebody makes a statement that I can't find the answer in the Bible, I still say the Bible is true and I'll go find the answer. The problem with the church in the mid-1800s was science was saying that all these things in the Bible were wrong and they decided to agree with science instead of agreeing with the Bible. In recent years, we've been able to determine the Bible's true, but there's lots of damage that was done by the church abandoning the Bible. Okay. I'm going to encourage you, never abandon what the Word says. What the Word says is true, absolutely true. And given enough time, we will find the evidence that it's true. Okay. We shared with people, you know, for generations they thought that David never existed. He was a mythical king like King Arthur of England was. Never existed. And in the late 40s, early 50s, they found tablets with his name on it saying what a great king he was and that he was a real king, and they're going, oh, we were wrong. For hundreds, thousands of years, we were wrong. There really was a King David. Be sure that the word will prove itself out. Stand on the word, even when people with alphabet after their name tell you that it's not. And do you know what I mean by an alphabet after a name? That's the PhD and the, and the masters. And they give this long list of, you know, I'm really, really educated. I know what I'm talking about, people. Who can't give you a reason for what they're talking about. But just, uh, just listen to me because I've got, I've got an alphabet after my name telling you, telling you that I'm smart. Most of them aren't that smart when it comes down to it because they disagree with God in many cases. Stand on his word, no matter who's telling you. If you listen to a pastor who's telling you the Bible isn't true, get away from that pastor. If you're going to a Bible study and they're telling you the Bible doesn't mean what it says, get away from that teacher. Okay? Because if you, they're going to lead you wrong. What they're saying right away may not be all that wrong, but as soon as they tell you the Bible doesn't mean what it says and isn't right, that's a warning sign. Get away from them. Paul, remember, praised the Bereans. You're checking out what I say by going to the scripture to make sure that what I say is true. Always do that. No matter who you're listening to, go back to the scriptures and say, does it match what the Bible says? Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. Be alive because the Holy Spirit will teach you. One of the greatest things, because I listen to so much speakers on the radio, is every once in a while I'll be barely listening and all of a sudden alarm bells will be going off in my head saying, Something was just said that's not right. Pay attention. Yeah. 
And it's really sad when it's somebody that I trusted and really liked that would say something like this. You know, but you go in and you go, what did they just say? What are they talking about? And it's like, okay, God, do I continue listening to this preacher? Is it what they said bad enough that I stop listening to him? Or is it just something that is an opinion that's not really that bad? That was what we were talking about Thursday night. One of, my, one of the speakers that I like <laughs> said something that, we, that I disagree with that was brought up. So we talked about it. Is it a critical thing? Never listen to that guy ever again? Probably not that bad. <laughs> You know, he still believes that Jesus is the Son of God, the only way to heaven. He still believes the Bible is absolutely true. He just has this one doctrine that he's not correct on. Uh, but, you know, we need to be able to say, this is what I believe. This is why. The Spirit lives in us. He's our protector. He's our guide. He's the one that will tell us when we're out speaking to somebody. And I don't know about you, but you know, one of the greatest experiences was when, I, when I'm teaching or when I'm witnessing to somebody and all of a sudden it's not me speaking anymore. I hope you all have experienced that at some point where all of a sudden you realize, uh, hold it. You almost kicked back like, like, wow, this is really amazing. I didn't know I was this smart or this eloquent. <laughs> well, you're not. I'm not. <laughs> you know, it's the Holy Spirit speaking through you. And it is so much fun to watch God use you in that way. He uses your vocal cords and speaks through you, gives you boldness you never knew, helps tap into things you, you never knew, never remembered studying, never remember having in your head, and he'll bring those out. The power of God. I want people in our church to experience the power of God, the real power of giving us life. Giving us life, giving us direction. And I can't say I've ever heard an audible, literal audible voice, but I've heard sometimes when it, I, if it wasn't an audible voice, it was as close as it possibly could be and not be, where you just know you're supposed to do something. You know, you're driving down the road and God says, pick up that person. Now, I don't usually pick up people, but there's been times when I've gone, and when I've ignored it, I get this, you should have picked this person up, and I'll go back around... <laughs> You know, get off of the next exit, go back around and pick up, the, you know, go find the person. You know, doesn't happen often. But, you know, we need to be able to listen to God and say, God, what is it you want me to do? How do you want me to minister? What do you want done? I love watching God speak to people because he is our life. When we get saved... We turn over to God and we become a brand new creation in Christ, we're told. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're a brand new creation. We are made alive. Do you remember back when you got saved and you became alive? All of a sudden, you wanted to serve God. All of a sudden, you wanted to pray. You wanted to read your, your Bible. The weight of sin was lifted off of your shoulders and you felt light. You know, one of the greatest things I've enjoyed is watching people when they ask Jesus to come in their heart and watch this weight coming off of their shoulders. You just see it. There's a physical reaction many times where somebody has just been changed. And then you watch how excited they get about God. Does that happen with every single person? No. Sometimes it's very slow. You know, sometimes it's very slow. Well, God, I think I did it. I t did what you told me to do, but I don't feel anything. Well, that's fine. God, just trust what God said. And then watch how he changes your life.
There's people that I've looked at that have changed that way over time. And you go, I really appreciate how you're growing in Christ. And I go, what do you mean? <laughs> I go, well, you're doing these things now. You never would have done these things a year ago, two years ago. Look at the way God has gotten hold of you and made you grow. And this is what we're looking at. Without Christ, we can do nothing. In 1 Corinthians 15.22, Paul talks about Adam brought death to mankind and Jesus brings life. Through Adam, all died spiritually. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were told, the day you eat this fruit, you will die. They did not die physically the day they ate that fruit. They died spiritually the day they ate that fruit. They were afraid of God. They were no longer able to just go before God and talk with him in the cool of the night. Can you imagine, before, before they ate that fruit, they were able to go to God. God came to them in the middle, in the early evening, and they all, they ran to him. All right, what are you going to teach us today? They ate the fruit, and the first thing they did was hide. They were afraid of God. They had died spiritually. And remember what God had to do for them. He provided coats of skins for them. How did God do that? I firmly believe that he didn't just miraculously create coats of skin. I believe he showed them what it took. What the consequence of their sin was, was the death of animals to create this skin for them. Can you imagine what that was like for them? They had dominion over the animals. They cared for the animals. And God had to kill two animals that they deeply cared for to make their coats because of their sin. We've said this so often. Sin has consequence. We don't ever think about the consequence of our sin until after the fact, usually. And if we do, we think, well, I can handle that consequence. You know, I think I know what's going to happen if I do this sin. And God says, you don't even have a clue what's going to happen. You have no clue what the consequences overall are going to be. The other day we said, if the only thing that happens to the consequences is that somebody sees you and your testimony is ruined before them and it will make it that much harder for you to share the gospel with them. That's an awful consequence in and of itself. And the consequences are usually much deeper than that. Adam and Eve brought sin into this world and it affected not just humans but everything. The ground produced thorns and thistles instead of nice plants. The animals became vicious. The whole world became a storm area with natural disasters. The world we live in is not what the world was created as. When we ask God why things happen, we go all the way back to Adam and Eve. All the, all the bad things that happen are because of their sin and everybody else's sin after that. Not just theirs, but they started the process and then every other person has caused the evil in this world. We need to be able to look at that and be attached to Christ. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Without Christ, we can do nothing. If you try to witness to somebody in your own strength, it's not going to work. If you try to read your Bible without God being in the middle of it, we hear it all the time. I just can't understand the Bible at all. 
But when the Holy Spirit is indwelling you and Christ is in you, you can witness to people, you can share the gospel, you can you get in there and you say, wow, I understand the Bible all of a sudden. It's amazing. Somebody, the day before, is reading their Bible, they're not saved, they can't understand a word of it, they get saved and they start reading their Bible that evening, and all of a sudden things start making sense because they're spiritually alive and God is working in them. The power of being quickened. The power of being alive in Christ is so powerful. We need to make sure that we're staying in there. Now, in, in John 15, he also says that the Father purges off the branches that aren't productive. Again, now I have been told that when you've got a plant and it has eight or nine flowers on it and it's going to and you want a piece and you want to have fruit, if you want your fruit to be of any size at all, you have to start taking some of the flowers off the plant so that it can feed more to the stuff. Now, I know that's true in bananas because when I was in Guam, I'd watch them lop the ends of the bananas off. And if you didn't, you ended up with finger-sized bananas. And when you did, you ended up with nice bananas that we see in our stores. But you had to keep chopping the, the extra bulb that produced new bananas so that the, the ones that were there already would get bigger. What does that mean in our life? Sometimes he cuts away some of our <laughs> flowers that, are, that he says, OK, I, I don't want 500 little Little tomatoes, I want five or six big <laughs> tomatoes on, on your plant. Why does God put us through some of the trials he puts us through? Because he's purging. He's cutting away. He's allowing growth. How many of us say thank you, God, for when, we're in, when we're having problems? Not too many of us, I know. I'm doing it more now, now after 48 years than I used to, but I still don't do it perfectly. I've lived and walked with God long enough that I now have come to a realization that when things are happening to me, there's something good that's going to come out of it, and I'm getting better <laughs> at saying thank you quicker, or saying, God, I'm going to follow you quicker. But we need to get in this mindset. When things are happening in our life, we need to say, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do out of this. Now, I'm not saying be happy about the bad things that are happy, happening in your life. If you're happy in pain, you've got other problems. <laughs> okay, you've got psychological issues if you're happy, when, happy with, in pain. But you should be able to say, God, I'm going to be content because you're doing something. God, I'm going to be joyful because you're doing something. Remember we talked about just a couple weeks ago, Paul said, I thank God for the light afflictions that I'm going through in light of heaven. Okay, he says, compared to what is in heaven, all these things are nothing but light afflictions. And remember what we told you. That meant the beatings that he got three times, the shipwrecks, the being chased out of town everywhere he went, the, the problems he had with the churches, and all these things that he had. He goes, ah, oh, there's nothing but, they're, they're just light. Reading through Richard Warnbrandt's book, he says the same thing. What was this in comparison to to glory. He told one of the guards, he says, I can kill you. And he goes, all you do is send me to the one I love faster. Would that be our attitude if we were facing that? Are we looking to heaven and saying, God, I can't wait to get there. But until I'm getting there, give me every opportunity to share you that I can. The apostles in the scriptures, every time they would beat, they said one phrase over and over. Thank God he found me worthy of suffering for him. How many of us would have that attitude when we suffered for Christ? 
God, I just don't know what you're doing here. Uh, I don't like this pain. We need to learn. Thank God, I don't know what you're doing, but thank you. Thank you that you've allowed me, found me worthy to suffer. Job got there eventually. But even at the beginning, he, what, was, what did he tell his wife? She said, curse God and die. He said, woman, quit talking foolishly. Will we accept good from God and not evil? He goes, God's got a reason. I don't know what it is, but you know, he's got a plan, and I'm going to abide in it. Now, he was able to handle his wife. He wasn't able to handle his friends. He got a little off track with his friends. But so would we if we were constantly been bombarded about how bad we were and how awful we were and you know, have people telling us all this thing over and over and over and over again. And finally he got angry and said, God, just come down here and let us talk. And God showed up and he said, I shut my mouth. I couldn't, he, he wouldn't answer God's questions. Once God actually answered his question, you know, came down to talk. But God comforted him. We need to be careful with this. What is happening in our life? Are we going to honor God? We need to be careful because Western Christianity says, you know, you get saved and everything's supposed to be good. Well, I don't know where that message came from because it's not in the Bible. Okay, this prosperity gospel, this idea that everything's going to be good when you get saved is not a biblical message. God can bless us. He can give us great wealth and great, great prestige and sometimes will. But Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. The disciples were constantly being beat for their, their decisions. All through history, Christians have been abused by the world. That is what we're promised. Because our home is in heaven. Our home is heaven. We need to be looking at heaven and saying, God, when I get there, I'm just looking forward to having all the blessings. You know, if God gave nothing to us on this world at all, the blessings of heaven are well worth it. The good news is, God still blesses us while we're on this world. How many of you have been just go through your life with peace? You know, one of the greatest benefits I have that I see is God saying, you're in me and I'm in you. And you just kind of look out at the storms that are around you and go, wow, pretty bad storm, God. I'm sure glad I'm in you. I'm sure glad I'm inside you rather than out there in the storm. You know, if we were having a storm out there with 60, 70 mile an hour winds, would you rather be in the church or out in a pup tent? You know, many of the world are out there in a pup tent. They're not in Christ. When you're inside a nice, strong building like this one, you can look out at this weather and go, oh, it's kind of interesting out there. Beware the windows, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, you don't have as much fear when you're inside a strong building as if you were in a pup tent or a lean-to. <laughs> you know, let's make it even worse, put you in a lean-to. You know, one, 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 one roof at a slant. This is what we're looking at. God is in us. He gives us the victory. With him, we can do all things. When we are in Christ, we're a new creation. Satan comes knocking at the door of your heart, and you send Christ out to greet him. He doesn't stay around very long. We try to go greet him, and he's going to give us a hard time. We have power that we don't even fully understand if we just let Christ lead and be our deliverance. And the things that we can accomplish in him will be amazing. What is it we are going to do? I don't know. I don't know all of what this church is going to do, but you know Christ is pretty amazing. We minister over the internet with so many thousands of people listening to us. This little church of less than 30, 25, 30 people 
heard all around the world. What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> don't know what's going on around the world, but you know, we're reaching the world in a way that doesn't make any sense to us as, as a small group of people. Do you realize that we've given almost $4,000 to missions work this year as a church? That to me is an amazing amount for a church our size. And it's all you giving and, and, and helping out. What is God going to do with that kind of missions work? I don't know. But you know, we have a part in everything that goes on with that money that goes out. Again, when we get to heaven, what kind of rewards are we going to find when we get to heaven? We're going to have people coming up to us in heaven and saying, well, you know, you sent that shoebox over to me. I listened to your, your message on the, on the internet. I, you know, I, I was saved because this missionary was on the field because of the money you gave. Who knows what blessings are going to be in heaven because of simple obedience. One of the things I hear so often from people is, well, I just don't know what I'm doing for God. You know what? I don't know what I'm doing for God half the time either. But you know the one thing I know? God's using us all. If you're his child and you're living for God in any way, shape, or form, you are being used more than you are aware. People watch us. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to say, we're going to find people, you know, I watched you. I watched your faithfulness every Sunday to go to church. I saw that you were generally, usually more happy than sad. I watched you go through the hard times. And because of what you did, I looked for God. I wanted to find out why. You may not have even opened your mouth once to that person. But they go, this person's different. They have love that I don't understand. They have peace I don't understand. They have a joy that I don't understand. And I think it might be related to the fact that I see them going to church all the time. Just might be. And they go to look for God. Never doubt that God is using you. If you're his child and you are attached to Christ, you are being used in ways you may not understand. Now sometimes he'll let you see how you're being used. And it's wonderful when that happens. I've had events like that when I've gone through something hard and somebody goes, I watched you. I watched you go through that hard time and it impressed me, it strengthened me, it encouraged me. Be ready, be aware that these things are happening in your life. Be understanding that you're a new creation in Christ. What God is doing through you, you'll never know necessarily until you get to heaven. Some of the things are pretty obvious. When, you, when you're actually talking to somebody and they ask, they ask Christ in their heart and you can see the, the light come on in their eyes and the, the burden come off of their shoulders, it's fun. It's a fun thing. But you know, many of us are going to have people that have come to Christ that we know nothing about. And we'll see them in heaven and they'll say, you did it. Your testimony. You may not be the only one. You, know, you might have just planted a seed. You might have been the one that watered the seed. Every once in a while, you get to, get to be the one that actually reaps the harvest that other people have planted and other people have watered. Everybody had a part in it, and everybody will get, get that credit. How is God using you? Pray. If you are one that really thinks that, God, you have never used me, I want to challenge you to ask God to show you. Just have one or two people come up to you and share with you. Be careful because it'll be embarrassing if that happens. Because if you're thinking you're not being used and all of a sudden people go, you know, well, you did this, you did that, you did this, and you go, uh-uh, not me, I didn't do anything. 
If you ask God for it, be ready to hear how God has used you to touch their lives. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're really, truly following God, you are touching people's lives, whether you think you are or not. You've got family members that are looking at you. You've got neighbors who are looking at you. You've got friends who are looking at you. You've got other Christians looking at you. you know, do you realize that if you're faithful through hard times in your life, other Christians are looking at you and saying, now that's what a Christian's supposed to do. When you're here, when you're in pain and you're just worshiping God, people are looking at it and going, I think that's, that's what a Christian is supposed to do. They're supposed to be around God worshiping. Now, that doesn't mean if you've got pneumonia, you know, if you've got the, the flu and you're coughing and hacking, don't come to church. <laughs> okay? Uh, but, you know, there's been times in my life when I felt kind of bad and I've gone to church anyway. And it's amazing how good I feel on the, you know, start feeling on the car trip to church because Satan lost the battle of trying to keep me home for, for nothing. I had a very simple rule. If I wouldn't be kept home from work, I'm going to church. As a matter of fact, I'm coming to church even if I would be kept home from work sometimes. But, you know, what will keep you from serving God? If there's very little that's going to keep you from serving God, you're going to draw the attention even of other Christians. Because they're going to look at you and say, wow, you're going through all of that and you're still in church? You're going through that much pain and you're still in church? You'll encourage other Christians. You'll definitely encourage others that get to know you. This is what we want. Are we letting God work through us? How are we letting him work through us? Start small. You know, we read, we tell you all these biographies, you know, and we've talked about George Mueller. George Mueller became a man of prayer. You know, trusted God for everything. Trusted God for tens of thousands of pounds every month when that was a fortune in the, in the 1800s. That would be like trusting him for millions of dollars every, every month. Okay. He didn't just start out trusting God for that much money right off the bat. He had to grow into being able to do it. Each one of us have to grow in whatever it is that God's given us. Go back to when I started. You, know, you want to start teaching people evangelizing? It may just be the very courageous act of leaving a track on the table as you get done leaving from the restaurant. Now, that's not a very hard thing to do, is it? But it's a start. It could be as you're waiting in line, handing, just handing a tract to people. Say, God loves you, hand them a tract. Don't even say a word. You're, as you're headed back to your car after shopping, maybe give you know, purpose to give out a tract to at least one person as you're just walking back to your car. You know, God loves you. <laughs> or just hand them the tract, whatever. You know, maybe you'll get brave, brave enough to say, God loves you. <laughs> Eventually, you might find yourself even talking to them and really sharing the gospel. You start out small. You know, when we look at our athletes, you know, whatever your favorite sport is, that, that pro athlete did not just wake up one morning and say, I'm a pro athlete. You know, no, they had to work very hard at everything they did. You know, if it's a dancer, the, the best dancers didn't all of a sudden wake up one morning and say, I can dance with all the moves that they need to do. They had to practice everything. As Christians, we will have to practice each thing we do. How do you want to get better at praying? Do it. Just start praying. You can find somebody to pray with. They can help you. How do you get better at studying the Bible? Start doing it. 
know, it's amazing. And I love it when people talk to me about how they're reading their Bible through and they're on their second or third time and all of a sudden they read something and they're now studying the Bible because they're going, hey, I remember this someplace else. I remember this name someplace else. I have a very hard time just reading the Bible anymore. Because I read a story and I'm going, let me re refresh myself on this story from, you know, that they're referring to. Are you doing better that way? I think so. You're now starting to study, not just read. And then you purpose to study. And then you learn how to study. You learn how to pray. You learn how to witness. It takes time. But God is a wonderful teacher. He's patient. God is a very patient teacher and will work with us. We're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you today. We thank you for your love and your care. We ask you to be with us as we go about our business. Lord, teach us to be quickened. Lord, teach us to live through you in our day-to-day -day basis. Lord, help us to follow you in all that we do. Lord, if there's anybody in listening to this message who doesn't know you, we ask that you put it on their heart today to confess that they're a sinner and that they deserve punishment and ask you to come into their heart and then share that with some Christian brother or sister they know and start getting discipled. Lord, for those of us in this room, we ask that you help us to understand to be more indwelling in you. Make a thicker vine attached to you and allow more nutrition to come from you and teach us to be faithful with you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.